0: To subscribe, just click try free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash dsm plus to get access wherever you listen.
1: Thanks. I mostly felt helpless because I I felt like I didn't have the proximity to help with the day-to-day things of just making my parents' lives easier. And I didn't have the knowledge to offer any kind of solution. Um, So I mostly just stood by and hoped that things weren't getting worse. This is Death, Sex, and Money.
0: The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. I'm Anna Sale. Rishikesh Hirway hosts one of my favorite podcasts, Song Exploder.
1: You're listening to Song Exploder, where musicians take apart their songs and piece by piece tell the story of how they were made. I'm Rishikesh Hirway.
0: Rishikesh is a musician, and Song Exploder brings me into that creative process in a way I love, as it describes how a song is built track by track. He does a similar thing, but with turning pantry stables into a meal on the podcast Home Cooking, a show he launched with chef and co-host Samin Nosrat in the early days
1: of the pandemic. We're still home cooking. You know when you order french fries from a fast food place and you eat all the french fries? Uh-huh. And then you look in the bag and there's still some french fries down at the bottom of the bag? And you're so excited. That's what this episode yeah. is.
0: <laughs> We're like the last two french fries and you're like, yes. Yeah! yeah! <laughs> <laughs> On that show, Rishikesh and Samin talked often about the food they grew up with. And for Rishikesh, those touch points all came from his mom, Kanta. If you picture the home that you grew up in and you flash on an image of your mother, what was she doing?
1: She was in the kitchen, cooking, and probably talking on the phone at the same time. (laughs) Um, There was, you know, a long... Cord. We got. remember we got a longer cord for the phone so that she could walk around more easily, you know, without being constrained by the, the shorter length of the, the, the sort of spirally, twisty uh-huh. phone cord.
0: <laughs> the the factory-issued cord was not sufficient in your household. You had to get a special cord.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, she could get to the fridge. She could get to the sink. She could get to the stove all while keeping her conversation going.
0: hmm And who did she talk on the phone to?
1: Oh, she had so many friends. Um, and she would talk to all of them, you know, in a sort of constant rotation. The thing my mom's siblings always talked about and still talk about is that my mom was the storyteller of the family, and she used to sometimes go watch movies and then retell the, the movie's plot to her three younger siblings, and they would just be rapt. You know, they, they used to talk about how well she would describe everything that happened and that they felt like they were watching the movie themselves. This is how
0: Rishikesh remembers his mother. But towards the end of her life, Kanta was no longer able to be the bubbly social center of her friends and family. She developed a degenerative neurological condition that limited her mobility and eventually her ability to communicate. She died in the fall of 2020 and Rishikesh has been releasing new solo music this year about the grief of losing his mother when she was in her early 70s and in the years leading up to her death,
2: we've had to learn how to lose. This is Rishikesh's
0: song Home. Everything we've been I wanted to talk to Rishikesh about losing his mother and also to learn more about her life before her illness. Kanta married Rishikesh's father when she was 24, and they moved to the U.S. from India the same year. Two years after that, they had Rishikesh's sister, and he was born when Kanta was 31.
1: You know, my first few years of life, she, she didn't work, and then she started working at Sears nights, so my dad would be home. She would usually get a, a ride there. She didn't drive herself, uh-huh. um, so she would get a ride to work, and then we would go pick her up, you know, around... Um, 9 o'clock or 9.30 or something like that. And I would already be um, in my pajamas and, and basically asleep in the car. But my dad and I would go uh-huh. pick her up.
0: And do you, do you recall or have a sense, like, why did she take that job to work nights?
1: I think it was, you know, partly just so our family could have a little bit more money. Um, but I know it was partly also because they offered an employee discount. And uh-huh. um, and she thought this is a good idea. You know, I could get, make some money, but then also we could get clothes um, a little bit cheaper. I think it also gave her a chance to just sort of do something else outside of the house. I think it might have been our next door neighbor, um, uh, Mrs. Teal, who suggested that that she look for a look for a part time job just to have something of her own. Um, Mrs. Teal was a very influential figure in our in our life in general. And uh,
0: oh, was Mrs. Teal the same age as your mom? Um,
1: I don't know. I she only <laughs> she registered as an adult Uh-oh. so in my mind she was, but I don't know if they were the same age or if they were they were like ten years apart in age. I have no idea
0: yeah, because there's one way to think of it like here's your mom, this person who loves to talk on the phone who finally has her younger child in school and she's got this friend who can give her a ride to the mall for this like evening job to have this totally mm-hmm. you know um, just like yeah, of, of another way of being in the world and having being social, um, working retail. Yeah, um, while also getting yeah. a discount. Yes. When Rishikesh was thirteen, he moved out of the house to go to New England boarding school, about an hour away. And after college, he moved to the West Coast, where he still lives. As he became an adult, he became another person.
1: Kanta kept track of with regular check-ins and phone calls. Yeah, we would talk on the phone. And then my mom eventually got instant messenger. She Mm -hmm. got on AOL instant messenger. So there was a while when she would IM me um, a lot. In the sort of early part of the 2000s, starting around like 2003, 2004, she left Massachusetts and went and lived with my dad who had moved away for work. Uh, They'd been sort of separated for, I mean, just separated by distance, not like Mm -hmm. separated Marital or anything like that, because um, my dad got a job in Nebraska, and my mom wanted to stay in our home in you know our house in Massachusetts, and sort of maintain some sense of that home. Um, but eventually, I think my sister and I talked her into you know moving out to uh, to be closer to my dad, and when she did that, that's when she started getting really um, more internet savvy. And I was terrible. I would often leave them unanswered because I'd be too busy, you know. She'd used to be asking me how I was. The the question of the day was always like, what did you eat? What did you eat for lunch? <laughs> what did you eat for dinner?
0: Uh-huh.
1: And I didn't have anything interesting. I was like, I don't know. You know, I microwaved something. Um, but it was just a way for her to feel like I was okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I think she... She missed me, she missed my sister a lot and um and I don't think I really appreciated it at the time I didn't appreciate I didn't appreciate it beyond sort of a sense of like it was kind of nagging,
0: yeah, it's like a, it was a message coming in when you were doing something else,
2: yeah then I met you.
0: when did your mother first notice that she was having symptoms of something that was new
1: well it took us a while to figure out what was happening um first it was her knees were were giving her a lot of trouble and she ended up having replacement surgery on both knees and then eventually she needed a walker um and and then we couldn't figure out what was happening um because it wasn't just her knees. It wasn't just her joints. It was something about her mobility and her balance was off. Um, And then the uh, other strange symptom that started to come is she started to lose her voice. And it seemed like it was a side effect maybe of some medicine, but she was starting to take more medicine to, to kind of counteract some of the symptoms, and they were overlapping in ways that we couldn't quite understand. And uh, so we couldn't understand what was a side effect mm-hmm. and what was a symptom.
0: Was it sort of a family project to try to figure out what was going on?
1: Yeah. My my dad, of course, was with her a- every day. At this point, they had moved to the suburbs of Chicago. Um, my mom had gotten my dad a new job. <laughs> so she was like, I don't want to live <laughs> Wait, in Nebraska. She,
0: hang on. you just help and me so explain she, why you say it that way? <laughs>
1: Well, my dad was living in a very, very, very small town in Nebraska, a population of 2000 or so. It was mostly farmland. And my mom didn't know anybody there. Um, she was, you know, I think quite disconnected. Um, and so she got there and within months, she, as part of her kind of internet training, she learned about monster.com and <laughs> um, and she would just go on there and look for jobs for my dad uh, who's a food scientist and she found him she found a job um in in chicago um and uh told him about it and <laughs> pushed him to apply and then and he got it and then they moved she was in nebraska <laughs> for less than a year <laughs> after my dad had been there for you know eight years or something
0: This won't do. We're going to monster.com. Okay.
1: Yeah. So they moved to Chicago (laughs) together. So
0: you were explaining your father was there with her and he's seeing this up close.
1: Yeah. So he was there, um, you know, taking her to local doctors there. But uh, eventually, um, you know, it it started to become more and more noticeable. Um, In 2011, when, when I got married, you know, a really strange thing happened where my mom's voice had given out in a way where she couldn't really be a part of the wedding in the in a way that felt right to me you know she this really social person was somehow um missing from from that important day i mean she was there and she enjoyed it and i you know i have pictures of her smiling and laughing but she couldn't say anything she didn't make a speech or or really even talk to people so much because um her voice was so reduced physically that it took a lot of effort for her to speak and it took a lot of effort to, to hear her, frankly. And I don't think I realized like how much worse it would get from there.
2: You said you lost your voice for a while Kept to yourself Else.
0: Over the next eight years, Rishikesh and his family took Kantha to different doctors as they eliminated causes for her various symptoms. And then finally, in 2019, they
1: figured it out.
0: What was the diagnosis you received in 2019?
1: It was uh, PSP, which stands for Progressive Supernuclear Palsy, um, which is pretty rare degenerative neurological condition but once we got that diagnosis and sort of i remember reading the reading the symptoms um it made so much sense
0: so by the time your family had this name for for what was happening in your mom's body was it something that you could talk with her about
1: no i didn't really talk about it with my mom ever um there was something just so sad about it and uh, inevitable about it that I didn't see really what the point would be to talk, to discuss it with her. Um, it, I tended to try and just, I mean, as I, I did for most of my life, especially, you know, once I got uh, to be a teenager or a little bit older, I just, my relationship with my mom basically became just me trying to make her laugh all the time. Mm-hmm. I would just tell her just <laughs> terrible jokes to make her get, you know, laugh really hard and try and hit me. That was the, you know, the best uh. reaction that I could get from her, like a cackle and like her reaching out to try and uh-huh. like slap my arm or something. Um and so that's sort of what I I limited my interactions with her to stuff like that or you know when when it would be her birthday or something I would ask her um you know what she would want Th- just things that i could try and do to try and make things just find ways to give her any kind of joy or something i i don't know i don't know if she was depressed i don't know how she felt about about things because she really um wasn't able to articulate it and i think maybe one of the saddest things about um psp for me was this uh in the you know in, in in the reading that I was doing one of the symptoms was that it uh, it reduces people's ability to feel pleasure hmm. and of all the things you know like the her inability to move around the way that she she used to be able to her inability to talk to me the way that she used to that idea that she wasn't able to, just have pleasure in things the way that she used to really um, broke my heart.
2: All side.
0: Rishikesh's mom's decline and death in 2020 transformed his whole family.
1: Um, after my mom passed away, we just kind of, despite how, how much support we got from our friends and the people who loved my mom, um, I, it just felt a little bit like we retreated a bit away from everyone else. And, and we kind of did that together as a family.
0: This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. It took years for Rishikesh Irway's family to get a diagnosis for the constellation of symptoms that were making it difficult for his mother to move around and communicate. But even after that, they didn't know what would happen next. And so, like many of us, when we
1: face uncertainty,
0: Rishikesh turned to the internet.
1: I mean, when you read it on a website, it's it just, it's so... Uh... Well, I mean, it's clinical, um, but I remember, I remember reading that like something like PSP in and of itself is not fatal. However, most people do die from secondary uh, effects because of PSP. Um, you know, because it affects your balance, people might uh, fall, or or um, it also affects um, sort of involuntary motor function as well. Um, and so um, people might have trouble swallowing and they might choke on something. And, you know, there was just it, suddenly everything was a minefield and, uh, and it, you know, it felt like there was just no way to know what could happen. Um, so, yeah, I really tried to not talk to her about her condition. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was irresponsible of me but it just it you know her, she she and my dad spent so much time going to doctors talking to specialists or whatever I it just felt like I didn't need to be adding um to the to the tonnage of information that they were getting
0: As you're taking in this information about how your family is changing and in ways that you can't do anything about um did you explore making music about it?
1: Not intentionally, but um, I did write a song in, in 2018 that I realized was about my mom as much as it was uh, the, the sort of actual person who inspired it, who, who was, um, which was Sandra Day O'Connor.
2: Skyline slowly.
0: Sandra Day O'Connor the former U.S. Supreme Court Justice. The song is called
1: Memory Palace. Sandra Day O'Connor had had written in October of that year, she'd written this this letter letting people know that she had Alzheimer's and um, that she was retreating from, from public life. But love the
2: light around that picture's going so before the sweetest memories cave in I'm not giving up, just giving in Yeah, I'm leaving, I'm leaving
1: I found it so moving. I was thinking about the idea of sort of recognizing your body changing as it was happening and sort of making a decision and, and so there was a line uh, that I wrote that was, uh, um, I've, been changing. I've been changing, I know you can tell, can tell. my hands shake my hands your heart aches. Your heart and, um, you know, hands shaking was not, is not really uh, something that I, I think necessarily uh, Sandra Day O'Connor <laughs> was experiencing, but it was something that I thought about with my mom. And, um, yeah, those stories started to overlap for me in, hmm. in that song.
0: Like, I, I remember when that news story happened, I remember um, the the letter, what I remember about it was, um, it was an announcement of, of, as you say, like, her retreating from public life and wanting to say why, while she felt confident that she could still be the one um, narrating it. Um, it was sort of, I want to tell you why, if you're wondering. Yes, right. Um, and so that line I've been changing, I know you can tell is, is both, um, here's what I'm noticing about I'm, I'm changing. And also I want to acknowledge that I know you have noticed and maybe we haven't said it out loud yet because it's painful. Yeah.
1: I think one thing that struck me about it was that she had an agency about it, um, that, uh, I admired and also kind of felt sad about that my my mom didn't get to have something like that. In some ways I was almost jealous of the idea that she could so eloquently express this is what's happening to her and this is a decision that she's going to make because of that. Um, It felt like we were pretty helpless and didn't get to make decisions about anything and and my mom certainly didn't get the chance to express anything as eloquently as she once could.
0: When she was declining at the very end of her life, was it an end that you saw coming.
1: It was one of those secondary reasons. Um, as far as we can tell, she had a she had a heart attack, um, and um, and she went really fast. Um, she was sort of as close to her normal self as she was, kind of one minute, and then um, and then she was gone the next.
0: After Kantha died, Rishikesh told me he had a dream about his mother. It started with a familiar scene. She was asking for a glass of water from bed. He put it on the nightstand for her and
1: left, not wanting to disturb her. And then I went outside of the house, and I stood out there, and I started to leave, and then I turned around, and I started to run back, and my mom had come out of the room, come out of the house, and she sat down on these stairs, and we had... um. A very kind of frank conversation, a tender one, but frank and, and you know and um, um and we told each other that we missed each other. Oh. And there was some you know acknowledgement in that moment that she was gone and she knew it and I knew it.
0: I can't see where you are. This is the song called "Between There and Here" that he wrote after that dream with Yo Yo Ma on cello. TV.
2: You'd fall asleep too in bed. You said and looked at me. I said I miss you.
1: You said I know. I remember when I played when I played the song the first time it did feel it felt really nice. Um I think it felt a little bit like I was doing some kind of some honor mm-hmm. to her memory or something like that. One thing is that my mom my mom really liked it when I sang. Um and she liked my she liked my songs. Uh I remember you know for a while I took a break from from music and as much as my parents you know were As as Indian immigrants were sort of not thrilled about the idea of me trying to be a musician full time, um, my mom did always uh, like my songs, and she would sometimes sing them herself. And you know, after I'd taken a long time, uh, taken a long break from music, she would ask me. She was like, "When are you going to sing again?"
0: Was she well in your dream?
1: She was, Mm -hmm. yeah. She was the way that I remember her. In the, the kind of like platonic ideal <laughs> version of my mom talking and moving around and um, as sharp and as warm as ever,
0: mm-hmm. long phone cord era
1: mother. Yeah, that that era of my mom sort of conti- extends from all the way from when I was six up until you know when I was thirty. Um, she was the same person.
0: I'm curious. You said that your your mother loved to hear you sing. Was there a particular song of yours that that she liked your voice in.
1: Yeah, there was a song, there was a song that I wrote called "In the Time We've Got," um, that came out on a record in, in 2007.
2: It's our job to live as well as we can in the time we've got. Was written in the note I
1: found when I home. and and I remember hearing her uh, sing that.
0: She sang it. Uh-huh.
1: She had a great voice. And I remember I actually, I tried to get her to sing on the track with me. Oh, and she wouldn't. No, she, she was willing to. I thought, you know, it took some convincing, but I thought, oh, wouldn't this be nice? That way to like, capture, uh, capture this moment she's singing along with the song. Uh, this could be great. I, I remember, I I can remember being in the living room with her and putting, you know, the headphones on. I think it was the first time I'd ever seen my mom wearing headphones and uh, we couldn't do it. She, she, even though she was a great singer and she was singing all the time, the process of actually sort of recording her voice uh, in a particular rhythm and a particular key, you know, uh, and a particular cadence that matched what I was singing and went along with the with the track, she couldn't do it. <laughs> and, um, and we ended up just saying, okay, well, we tried. It didn't? didn't happen.
0: Yeah, the pitfalls of trying to collaborate with family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Doesn't always
2: work. <laughs> yeah.
0: When they weren't trying to record together, and before she got sick, Rishikesh remembers his mom singing as the opposite of labored, more an easy, constant comfort. He told me that earlier this year, when the Indian singer Lata Mangeshkar died at the age of ninety-two, memories of that came flooding back.
1: When I used to hear my mom sing, um, she would sing she would sing Indian songs um, for the most part, and she would sing things from from movies that she had seen, and uh, songs from before I was born. And Lata Mangeshkar, uh, being the most famous singer was just a huge presence. She was a huge part of that. My mom would sing her songs all the time. And um, Latha Mangeshkar is also Marathi, like my my family is. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, she was incredible. She at one point held the Guinness Book of World Records for the most songs ever recorded by a person. She, she's recorded over 25,000 songs. But my connection to her was through my mom uh-huh. and When I saw the news that she passed away, it struck me really, really hard. I felt real grief because I went back and I I started listening to um, some of her songs, my favorite songs of hers, which I only know because they were also my mom's favorite songs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a song that Lata Mangeshkar sang from a film that is a a lullaby, and and my mom. I remember saying it to me and I would ask her to sing it to me as a lullaby when I was a, when I was a a kid, a song that, you know, a a song from a movie that came out in like 1980.
0: Mm. Hmm. what's the name of the lullaby?
1: Oh, um, the song is called, uh, let me get it right. It's in Hindi and I don't, I don't really, I don't speak Hindi very well, (laughs) um, or at all really, um, after my mom passed away, I remember I was trying to find this song so I could listen to it, and I oh, didn't know uh-huh. the name of it. The name, the song is is called Halke Halke Ai Hulke," but I thought it was called "Chupke Chupke," which are uh-huh. other lyrics that are in the song. And I was like, I'm searching everywhere for "Chupke Chupke." It's not. I can't find it. And it turns out I had the title wrong.
0: Um, I won't ask you to sing the words, but would you hum a little bit of it?
1: Um, yeah. Uh, I could play it for you, but do you want me to actually? See, you you want my voice doing it?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> out of nervousness, is it okay if you won't hear it in my in my mic? But can I play a play a little bit of the music so I can? Oh, just, sure. Okay, yeah. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> 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 I can't do the stuff that she does. <laughs> Her voice is amazing.
2: I love that. It goes on like that. Yeah. It goes
1: on like that. Oh, that probably sounded terrible.
2: No, it
0: sounds really beautiful. And it also, um, I feel like it's justice uh, because we were talking about your mother not quite getting into the
1: register
0: that you wanted her to get into.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. My mom would be so happy uh, about th- that you just made me sing that song. That's Rishi K. Shirway. If you use that, will you put the music under it so I'm not just bare naked terrible?
0: One one podcast producer to another. (laughs) I'm looking out. I'm Uh, looking out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is not my key.
0: You can find his music on Spotify, including his newest song, which you heard in this episode, called Still Dreaming. We have a link to it in our show notes, as well as to the podcasts Home Cooking and Song Exploder. There's also a spinoff Netflix series called Song Exploder, which is fantastic. Don't sleep on the R.E.M. and Alicia Keys episodes. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. This episode was produced by me and the rest of the team is Andrew Dunn. Zoe Azoulay, Afi Yellow Duke, Liliana Maria Percy Ruiz, and Lindsay Foster Thomas. Our intern is Lily Clark. The Reverend John DeLore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. Thanks to Christine Kemp from Amherst, New York, for being a member of Death, Sex, and Money and supporting us with a monthly donation. Join Christine and support what we do here by going to deathsexmoney.org slash donate. I'm on Instagram, at Anna Sale Picks that's P-I-C-S, and the show is at Death Sex Money on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And I have one more very important thing to tell you. Next month, the San Francisco-based ice cream shop, Salt & Straw, is releasing a new limited edition flavor, inspired by Kanta Hireway's mango pie recipe. It's called Mom's Mango Pie, and they'll ship it anywhere in the U.S. Yum.